good people. We are back. It's Tasneem and Andrea, and we're here with Truth Be Told. Another episode, Tasneem. How are you feeling today? I'm always excited when it's production day. I am too. Glad to be back in the studio. Definitely. Definitely shout out to our AV guru, Forrest. Just do that on the front end, right? Forrest Eagle. He's a bad man. Shut your mouth. Bad in all the best ways. In all the best ways. <laughs> Bad to the bone. All right. He's probably blushing, but we thank Forrest so much for this because, yeah. truth be told, we wouldn't be able to do this without Forrest. It's very help. true. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful thing when you have something on your plate that makes you feel excited when everything else makes you feel a little blah. Particularly in the past 11 months, mm-hmm. right? And we've had stuff on our plate that has perpetuated the blah. Yeah. How do we work during this pandemic? Mm -hmm. How do we close buildings? How do we operate staff? How do we look at budgets? Mm -hmm. And truth be told, it's been on that plate and it's been a spot that brings us joy during the pandemic. Very true. And so I think here we are. We are almost at a year Mm. of being in this place, a place that has grappled, I mean, that that the country's still grappling with. The world, not just our country, Mm -hmm. please. The world Mm -hmm. is still, the globe Mm -hmm. is still grappling with how we are surviving Mm -hmm. and how we will continue to survive Mm -hmm. post-pandemic. And where is our hope and what remains hopeless and hopeful? I think you had a question. I think it may have come from, I'm not your Negro, but can you be hopeful and hopeless at the same time? And I think that is a, this This time we're living in is a great example of that. I think so. I remember when you called a meeting, and it was a harried meeting. It wasn't one of these luxurious, I've ordered breakfast for you all, staff meetings. And you were saying the library's going to close. Get all your things. And get out. And you know, it's interesting (laughs) in times of emergency, if we can admit that there's an adrenaline surge, that it feels what, it almost feels like excitement without saying it feels joyful. It feels like something's happening. And you know, all systems go and your muscle fibers are twitching and you're gathering things and literally, you know, papers were on the floor and it looked like something happened. I think the first time I came back in, I'm like, everything just looks like something happened. Who's been in my (laughs) office? That's who you're like, who's been in here? No one. This is how we left it. This is how we left it. Because we went into that mode, as you said, panic or not. Panic and the body just responds. You know, if we think about a year ago, what that language was like and the feeling of release for the students who didn't have to go back to school, everyone thought it would just be maybe a week or two. And it was like, I get to stay home. I get to stay home has now become I got to stay home. I have to. I must. I must stay home. But it was a while before it felt like a it felt like suffering Mm -hmm. before we started looking at the numbers of people who are actually dying from COVID, and you recognize that, no, we're sort of under an attack that many of us recognize as what life in America feels like, but now you're talking layers upon layers upon layers of this feeling of encroaching attack. And life around the globe, what it feels like, right? Because if this hasn't shown us that we are not special <laughs> special in a superpower, if this pandemic hadn't shown us that. Yeah, you're not protected. You're not. Mm-hmm. No one is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, we're a year. Mm-hmm. We're a year into it. And, and we've survived. Yeah. We're surviving. We're here. We are here. We're here today. But we will stand in the truth. And we're going to talk about some of that struggle. Mm-hmm. What the past year has been like for many mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll add our own personal. Well, certainly. Start, certainly. Yeah. You know, oftentimes you and I are readers and we're writers and we're often drawn to words. And words help us sort of organize our thoughts. But I was reading this recent New York Times article and came across 
this quote from a writer and author on Twitter who says, the fatigue I feel these days is unlike any other I've ever felt. At the end of each day, I'm just wrung out. She says she ends each day just wrung out. I saw the quote. I didn't even get to the article. And I'm like, send Andrea. (laughs) And it feels self-indulgent to admit it because we do know the times we're living in for many, many people, too many people have included death. Death. And on the other side, we're like, wow. We feel tired. And one could say, but you're still breathing. So we get that. We do. We recognize that we are grateful to even have the feeling, the sensation of fatigue. But at the same time, fatigue is teaching us something. It's signaling something. And so I could relate to what she was saying, just sort of feeling like these days are all sort of bleeding into one another. We're all like, what day is it? Do you relate to the at the end of the day feeling? Because your girls are they're all home. They're all home. Their schools haven't opened. I mean, this is the reality. They are at home. I like to say there is no place where they are not. (laughs) They are everywhere. They're saying it about me, too. They are. are. They're just as happy that today was a recording day for mom as you are. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Yes. But when I did find myself hiding in the laundry room, yes, thank God I have a laundry room with a door. And I felt like that darkness is what I needed. I just need to stand in the dark. And on the other side of the door, I heard them saying, where's mom? Is mom still here? Where's mom? And I was like, got to go back out there. You know, and again, there's a feeling of self-indulgence. Yes. You know, so many of us, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to to run. There's no way to escape. Um, For many people who we have a job, we have our health. So at the end of the day, we can say that we're wrong and we're tired. Mm-hmm. But, but we, we still stand. We still stand in, mm-hmm. right? We're grateful. We still have we're jobs grateful. that we were able to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't furloughed. Mm-hmm. We are grateful. So many people have lost loved ones. I was reading a number of how many of us have been impacted by a personal loss. And you remember early on in the pandemic, we were like, did you hear? Like someone on television. Oh, yeah. And then the first time that trauma and death from this virus hit your circle? Oh, yeah. It was startling. It was quite It startling. crippled me because I said to you, that's name Like, I know someone. Like, literally, they are in my space. And I know someone who's lost their lives to this virus. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, it was crippling. I wanted to hide in my laundry room. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hide somewhere because I thought we could be next, any of us. It did feel that way. I remember that. You and I would talk about going, leaving the house, masked up. And immediately our necks would feel tight. Our backs would start to ache. We would try to talk each other through the grocery yeah. store. Oh, my. I had a, There was a threshold. After like 15 minutes, suddenly I'm like, I think my throat is scratchy. Every time we would go to the grocery store, you and I would talk and be like, <clears throat> something happened. I need some tea. Yes. I need some tea yes. and some ginger. Because yeah. Do you think it, it got me? Mm-hmm. It. And the last time I think I felt this type of fear on this global level was when the AIDS epidemic and pandemic hit our communities at such a rate that couldn't be explained. And rather you were involved in whatever the list of things of one can get. Yeah, the AIDS, behaviors. The behaviors. None of that mattered. What mattered is now there's this it that is now in your communities and it can take out anybody that you know. And then this felt like that mm-hmm. again. There's no real protection. None. none. Which is... When you think about our lives, and, and, and I know we're going to eventually get to talking about surviving, you were reading in the New York Times article. I was reading this article as well. Probably it was in the Times, I'll have to admit. But I found this amazing 
therapist, and she is an African-American woman. And I was reading in an article that she wrote, and she is the director of the Institute for Anti-Racism in Medicine. Mm. And so she's done a lot of work and research looking at the psychiatry of medicine and just anti-racism and disparities and discrepancies in the healthcare field. And I was looking at some of her research in my own personal world, and I came across what she said about the pandemic and women of color, black women. And I'll quote her. She said, we, speaking of she and her colleagues, we're well-versed in diagnosing depression and anxiety. Some of us even suffer from it ourselves. But what all black women are facing today, it's something different, something additional. Black women sit squarely at the confluence of multiple systems of oppression and are experiencing a disproportionate loss of life and livelihood in the era of COVID, none like we've ever seen. In the case of black women, the symptoms are inevitable. They're inevitable because they're a result of not only the pandemic's impact on the human psyche, but already exists a systemic, oppressed, and battered psyche. Our mental health system has overcharacterized and diagnosed black women's pain and trauma without first affirming the source of the original stress that black women have been carrying their families and communities for far too long and witnessing and now add the pandemic on that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That hit home because even former First Lady Michelle Obama talked about the slow trauma she spoke about this low-grade depression yes. of what the pandemic has oh, done on top of the racial strife. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so if you have someone like former First Lady Michelle Obama talking about it, how are we, everyday people or not, how are we doing? Because most most of us looked up to her as a role model. And then she's saying, wait a minute, there is this mm-hmm. double mm-hmm. whammy that is on me mm-hmm. as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are powerful confessions. And it does feel like weight. But I think at the same time, it's important that we acknowledge, fully acknowledge the spectrum of experience that we all, I'm not going to say we all, that many of us can recognize. Yes. So on one hand, we're saying, oh, man, but we're still alive. We're still standing. We haven't died. That's not to say that there's still not validity to things like, I feel depressed. This feels like low-grade depression. I'm not quite sure what I need to do. I just want to get into bed. Like, literally, have you had that experience during this past 11 months that you just wanted to, well, you wanted to hide in your laundry room? But in the past 11 months, think of how many times you just thought, I just want to get away. Normally, I would get away, but I can't get away. I can't travel, can't go see my grandmother. What is it that I can do? That's a good question because it has forced us to be creative and resourceful in ways that perhaps we weren't. Because perhaps we all were a bit indulged by things like access to entertainment. Just access. To everything. To everything. <laughs> you know, access, period. We're children, like, we want to get out. There's nowhere to go. There's or, nothing open. They, like, I had that thought. I was like, oh, I wanted to. Oh, no, they're not go. open anymore. Yeah. And so we have come up with things to do and created accountability around it, which I think is, if we have to say, how have we flexed our resilience muscle? This is a good example of that kind of sort of inner fitness. I love it. I think resilience is what comes to mind. And I was reading more data from this amazing doctor. I know. And that was what she was saying? That she was talking to... about what we will see at the end of this mm-hmm. will be greater degrees of resilience. I agree. But it will also be a greater cry for the mental health profession and just science and medicine to respond differently to all of the underlying conditions, of course. Yeah. I mean, of course, think about it. Think about what the pandemic unveiled mm. in communities of black and brown or, or, or less affluent communities. 
but resilience. Resilience. It's one of my favorite words. Yeah. It's one of my absolute favorite words and favorite things to love about myself. So if I'm a black woman, Tasneem, Mm. and I have always been the caregiver of a family, I have been the one who is helping the children. This is, you know, a black woman anywhere and helping children with the homework. If I am black and brown women make up the largest number of domesticated workers, Mm. how does she find resilience in the pandemic? How does she balance that? Where does she find it? I do, I have found great benefit in trying to flex the skills of observation. So everything you just mentioned is a celebration. You're talking about somebody who's figured out a way through frustration and oppression and all that to somehow still be taking care of a family. Yes. That she didn't go under. Somebody who still has figured out a way to serve and gain money for that service, be it whatever kind of domesticated work you were mentioning, whatever those numbers signify, that there is a celebration in that. That is the example of resilience. That is. Maybe it's not bright and shiny. Right. Maybe she's not the first lady of a government. I don't know. Maybe she's she doesn't have a job title or credentials that make certain people's eyebrows go up and we get impressed. But right <laughs> But she that, will still stand. She'll be the one. She'll be the one. She'll standing. be the one. Yeah. You know, while we're talking about do you have a fish fork? She's like, My children have already eaten. We're we're, full. we're done. <laughs> we're done. I remember one of my parents saying, You should have to you should be able to go to a family dollar and get some food and help your children survive. You have to you have to know what to do when you don't have these higher level options. If if that's not survival. But you know, generations, we've moved away from having to rely on privilege or experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exposure, income, whatever. I think the not good enough us. critique has value. That's but I think we right. also have to remember that it's still good, That's that right. there's still a value in that. And, and so there's a survival and a good in it. Right. So if you think about how many households have been able to survive mm-hmm. just on, I can tell you now, this has nothing to do with the pandemic. Just being in the house for five, six, seven days, how many Ways you can utilize a noodle and some sautéed vegetables. Speak on that noodle. My God. Speak on the noodle. It's, the it's, humble noodle. It's survival, mm-hmm. right? And but before I was like, oh, I can only eat. I mean, is it gluten free? Hmm. Is it we? <laughs> Come mm-hmm. on. It's a quinoa noodle. I, I you had one of those. You, you throwing shade? <laughs> We're talking about surviving the pandemic, and you want to throw no, no. Whatever was in the cabinet. Whatever was in the that cabinet was, in was there. good enough. It was, it was good enough. There. It's called the good enough. Yeah, and enough. the pandemic has taught us that yes. there's a, that the good enough should be right on the same level as we put these other waves of survival or what's best for our children and, and what's best for the world. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I like the conversations that allow us to still congratulate ourselves in the midst of reaching for more right. and reaching higher. But we have to observe first that we are still here and that deserves a hand clap. Um, we That's know, something. That is something. I love the fact that you brought up the celebratory yes, aspects celeb- yes. of this this woman mm-hmm. who is still standing at the end of that. She is. Yeah. Tired, yes. Bunions for sure. Feet hurting. Mm-hmm. Running her stocking. All of that. I get it. But she's still standing because she's resilient. Yeah. Because you know what resilient. the pandemic has also taught us? Mm-hmm. I think it's helped. What I've seen is it's helped some of us stand in our truth a little bit more and be honest with how we are feeling. Because you can't, like, go anywhere and and hide in that. You can't hide in the laundry room. You can't. You had to come out. And then you have to tell your girlfriend, and then she's going to press you and say, why? Let's get to the root of that, right? Yeah. We are forced 
to look at ourselves and we're forced to express how we feel. And that loneliness, Mm -hmm. we may not have talked about it, but we've been in this place that is unnatural Mm -hmm. because the human connection is what is natural. We were built and made and it is embedded in us to connect. Yes. That's why we we come from a womb. Yeah. So we are connected Mm -hmm. and we have been forced to be in isolation. We have had to grieve over Zoom. We have had to miss graduations and, and ceremonies Milestones. Milestones in lives that we would have been together mm-hmm. connecting. Mm-hmm. And we, this, we actually, some of us don't get touched anymore. And I was watching something and they were talking about seniors and mm-hmm. and how they aren't being touched. And this reason they're wanting to open back up the nursing home so fast is because they just mm-hmm. the sense of touch. Babies just need to be touched. And what I have seen is the pandemic has forced us to, to talk about why. The human connection is so important. Agreed. Because we think we can operate on these islands and these, you know, the world teaches us that you got it. You can do it. You don't need anybody, you you know, and you can handle that. But mm. that's not reality. Mm. Yeah. So a call for more self-nurturing. And being honest about mm-hmm. what we need. Yeah. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. For I those was... of us who stand in that truth and have accepted that challenge, that's mm-hmm. hard for some of us. I, maybe I'll just Maybe it was just hard for me to actually say what I need. No, it wasn't just you. <laughs> oh, God, I, I hope not. Yeah. yeah. We didn't know what the question even sounded like. What do you mean, what do I need? Yeah. What do you mean, like food-wise? Yeah. Like, I don't no, need like, anything. Like soul-wise. Soul-wise, yeah. Life-wise, humanity-wise. Yeah. Right? And you're just right. all of that. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Mm. The weight of it. You know, our shoulders were slumped after a few months, and I'm seeing... Those of us who are figuring out how to how to survive and live, mm-hmm. we have a different walk. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sitting up more. Mm. Yes, we're fatigued, we're tired, we're zoomed out in every other platform. But I think there is something about the resilience. And when you realize that you have been resilient, then your gaze and your walk is a little bit different. It is different. Yeah. There's a book called Wintering by a writer. Her name is Catherine May. And she is really encouraging us to recognize that we have come upon these seasons before and we will keep coming upon them. But what she says we do that we don't always know that we need to congratulate ourselves for is that she's learned to survive these seasons in part by treating herself like a favored child with kindness and love. And that means patience and personal care, more sleep, more walks, nourishing foods, less pressure to produce and compete. All of this sounds as beautiful as a Stevie Wonder song to me. Yeah, definitely Stevie Wonder, of course. <laughs> Always Stevie. But we said a about, shy day song. No, not, no, Stevie. Uh, okay, Stevie. all right. But we've we've taken on some new habits. We have. So accountability is one. I've called you at least a couple times and said, I just need you to know I'm going under. I think that was the last call. I think that was, you're like, I'm going under. I'm going under. Just, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm really, yeah. I've been momming a lot. It's a lot sure. of, uh, and then, of course, we had the snow, which meant, I went under. (laughs) I was looking for a a dog sled, my stars, a snowmobile. It was like a moose. A moose. Anything. God, I prayed. God could just send a moose to 37013 to help me get out of this. I started making up stuff to go shopping for. Like, I think we need foil. But, Tazneen, I'll be back. Only one could get out oh, to go I'm shopping. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Oops. Privilege. <laughs> your salted streets. Privilege. I will say we scraped up the windshield of my car something mighty because we didn't have what we have in New York to remove snow. So we were 
using things like old credit cards. <laughs> Glass doesn't like that. No, it doesn't. It, no. it will tell a story, though. But I, I do like, A, that we can laugh about all this. But that, that feeling of isolation upon isolation. Yes, we went out and played yeah. in the snow and did snow angels. And that was fun. But I think just that snowed in feeling when we were already snowed in. We were already, and then you talk about the seasons and we've survived them. I have a girlfriend who sent a text in a group text and you said your words were like, I'm fading. I usually say I'm fading. I said, I'm going down. You said, I'm going down, man down, right? And she sent a text and she said, five, four, three, two, one, blade, (laughs) been ambushed. It's Karate Joe. And anybody who knows the reference to that movie, you know I'm speaking to you. If you don't, I'm sorry. And so, and immediately I checked, I was like, Joe, blade here. You got to hang in there. Five, four, three, two, one. She's out, right? So, and we have done a better job collectively, I think. It definitely in our of girlfriend hearing circles. Hearing each other. Hearing, we have language. We've been too busy mm. to do that before. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty, guilty number one, of being too busy to actually hear the cry of someone who's saying, I'm down, man down. Because my first response would have probably been, okay, um, maybe you need to take a day off, get, get some coffee. Mm-hmm. Fix, uh, it, fix, fix it, it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Whereas now there's now no we're like, fix. Feel it, feel, feel it, it, feel it. From fixing it to feel it. My question, though, is do you think we'll keep these behaviors and these practices? Because we've shifted our thought processes and how we are more expressive and how mm-hmm. we are relying more on what community is and the value of that. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll stay or we'll go back? We, the collective, we go back to our are busy, consumed, back to Kiwa, not figuring out how to make the Dollar General bag of noodles last for five days. When I went to Kroger and they had not one pack of ramen left, <laughs> I was going to pull the fire alarm. <laughs> Somebody had to stop. That's an emergency right there. But I do hope, you know, I, I lean on Barack Obama's book title, his one of his autobiographies, The Audacity of Hope. It is audacious. But it's worth it, right, to imagine that these habits we've adopted, these this sort of consciousness that says, I have to lean on somebody in order to get out of this storm, Mm -hmm. but I also have to save my own life. That just calling and saying I'm going under is not just the answer. No. And the person on the other end of the phone needs to say, get your boots on, take care of yourself. How are you going to save yourself? I think that's a lesson for, I think our children have benefited from that. Because they can't. Your kids who are off to school, they can't come home. They are stuck in these dorms. They have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's when I remember saying to Ryan, you're going to have to, we're choosing to send you back on campus, son. So there are some things that you are going to have to figure out. When you are lonely, when you need someone, you're going to have to figure out how to save, how your, to own save your own life. That's resilience. Yeah. That's yeah. resilience. And, and in all things, we should give gratitude for that. I think it will be another form of armor that we will use another generation. Another generation will look back and they will be, our children will be more resilient. And I know it's hard for people to see like the positive things that have come through the pandemic. But Mm. in all things, I agree with you going back to Baldwin, being hopeful and hopeless. They do coexist all the time. Yeah. 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 And this whole conversation talking about practiced resilience speaks to our privilege, right? Like I'm sending you back to college in order Uh, for you... Too. And I'm like, it's mm-hmm. true. Like with mm-hmm. my children, it's the same thing. They're saying, I'm like, well, why don't we make better Netflix choices? Right. <laughs> okay. You know, maybe choose a movie that makes you feel better. And I forget, like, even in this. It's still privilege. Even Gosh. in this. Yeah. And so to acknowledge the fact that we have it, we have it in front of us, these 
options. I think you said that before. Like it's the ability to have the choice. We have them. That signals liberation. Yeah. And I think the ability to say, how can I save my life? That Ryan, away from mom, who is his laugh partner, can somehow find a way to bring some joy into his his life. That is resilience still. But we can't deny the privilege in that in itself, right? The fact that I know you were stuck in the pandemic, but you know you can, you know, like forget putting the poor Uber guy, Uber Eats guy at risk, <laughs> like Postmates or whoever you got to. But you can always get food. So the dorms, the, the food's not available. Son, go, yeah, just call a dash. Just do a dash. I mean, look at that privilege. Gosh. But we. That's our <laughs> life. We can't try another life on right now. I mean, it is, right? So I I think it speaks to the same thing about talking about COVID. Can we still speak about some of the burden of COVID even though we're still alive? I say yes. Of course we can. We can. Yes, we And have so to. in teaching our, our children, heck, teaching ourselves how to be more resilient, how have we saved our lives? I think that's the question. So let me ask you, Andrea. Yeah. Can you name, if you sort of review, sort of looking at the, the past year, three things you've done for yourself with yourself, maybe not always by yourself, but certainly for yourself, that has saved your life, saved the mood, saved some sanity. Hmm. So I ran across this quote by Alice Walker. Hmm. And what does Sister Alice say? Sister Alice, as we are in March, recalling her into the space always. Sister Alice said, hard times require furious dancing. Hmm. Each of us is proof of that. You definitely are. I am proof of that, right? So hard times require furious dancing. I literally just said to myself in my isolated self two days ago as I was coming up with a new dance routine. Oh, my gosh, Drea, you're going to be the best dancer after COVID, after this pandemic. I don't know, like, who's going to want me to perform on all their dance shows after this? So what have I done to save my life? That's the story I told myself in the mirror. It was a lot of Issa talk. We know that. I'm sure Issa got that from me, that whole mirror talk. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So what have I done to save my life in the past 11 months, Tazim? Dancing is one. Dancing is one. Furious dancing. Is that the... She said hard times require furious dancing. Furious dancing. So I've I've got it. I've got so many routines. So like the next wow. hole in the wall that opens up, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I love Across it. the state line and everybody. You know, and in that between. was born in isolation. Of course it was. Beautiful. Because I, I mean, dancing, I mean, everybody. Well, ugh, let me not say that. Mm-hmm. You know, I stopped dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, you put away those things. You Remember what dancing was like at the Grand Ballroom on campus Mm -hmm. and remember what like jazz night or this party would be. And then you kind of stop because you're so mature now. And then you learn a couple of dance lines just for like a wedding Mm -hmm. um, or a sorority event. But dancing as a practice, as a way of relieving the tension of being so tired at the end of the day. So that's one of the things I've done to save my life. The second thing I've done is meditate. I meditate and I prayed like it. And that's. It's become more, I don't want to say just habit for me. It has become a necessity to just meditate. And then the third thing I've done, which I'm reminded of something that I've loved, and it took the pandemic to remind me of how much I love comedy and love to laugh. And so I have, I mean, I have spent, I normally wouldn't have, I don't binge on like Netflix or I don't binge on television in that way. But my gosh, every bit of comedy particularly black comedy that I have tuned into for the last 11 months, it has reminded me that laughter does save us. Mm. And so dancing, 
laughter and meditating and praying has saved my life. It what, has saved your life. What has saved your life during the pandemic? <sighs> I'm going to agree with you that meditation has become such an important part of my day. I try to do it after waking up, brushing my teeth, washing my face. And it never disappoints. It has not disappointed. I'm just amazed that I can sit there with my legs crossed for that long or <laughs> just sit still, even if my legs aren't crossed. I'm pretty impressed with that. As you know, I love to run. And running is as much about physical fitness as it is about mental fitness. So recently I've been running and I've been saying, I get to do this. Like realizing what a gift it is to to have these knees hold my body up. Yeah. Then I thought, you know, my heart has been beating for 46 years. That's a long time to do one job. That's amazing to me. Wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I don't say thank you enough to my heart. You know, just like, thank you, heart. So I'm like, I'm running and I'm like, my knees are doing okay. Thank you, knees. Thank you, knees. I do. You know, just. <laughs> I think I said that after wearing heels all day. Oh, Lord, thank you, knees, thank for you not knees. falling. <laughs> Let's talk about these lungs over here. Yes. Like all of that. So running does that. You know, I don't say that I'm the swiftest runner, but I'm steady. Yeah. And so. I love that motto in life. Yeah. Very steady. You might beat me there, but I'm going to be there. <laughs> so I do love, I love running. And, you know, since I was a kid, on Friday nights, my father would make popcorn in a saucepan with oil and kernels. Straight old school, man. Love it. Yes. And then he would take five sandwich bags and fill them with freshly popped popcorn and line the kitchen counter and each of us would get our own bag. I continue that tradition. When I feel like the doldrums are calling me, I'll think, you need to make some popcorn. And everyone knows if I go grocery shopping, I always have a bag of kernels. And I know if I talk to you and I say, what are you doing? You're like, I'm just going to wind down with some popcorn. I know what kind of day you had. popcorn. I I have popcorn on my desk now. And it just, it's not that I necessarily eat a whole bunch of it. Sometimes it's just three good handfuls and then I'm done. It's something about the ritual of doing it. It connects me to my father, of course. But I, I think it's also that it's so simple. The ingredients are three things, kernel, oil, and salt. Wow. And it's just simplicity. If we haven't gained that from the pandemic, simplicity. Simplicity. Yeah. It's good enough. You know, it's not, I don't put Parmesan on it in time and, oh. you know. I, I, I have a little dill seasoning Do that you? I use online, I must admit. I'm so sorry, but I must admit. <laughs> I get as fancy as to use like a salt grinder. Other than that, <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of shade in these past two episodes. I'm just not sure what's happening. I know. I Other like than that, it's the Kroger iodized salt. That's it. Because I don't want to goiter. I get the iodized. So. <laughs> get that. <laughs> but we've survived. Fancy as I, we, as I get. We, we have survived. We We're have still been here. resilient, sister. We're um, still here. And a lot of us aren't here. And and yet, here we are. Here we dancing are. furiously. So we want to ask you all, what are some things you're doing to save your life? When you start to feel like, I'm snowed in still, or I can't get out to as many places as I used to get out to, where you look at the year in review and think about all the things you might have done back in the day that brings you peace and soothes you and makes you feel like, you know, your life is robust and full. What are these new things you're doing? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. What is saving our lives? What's saving our lives? How are we doing it? And a year from now? I hope we continue. I hope a year from now, six months from now, when we are post anything, 
that you and I can say that we're still doing those things to save our lives. That's right. Back in early March 2021. That's right. And if we aren't, we're still grateful. Still grateful and still resilient. Mm, And still eating popcorn. Yeah, and dancing. All right, on that note. (laughs) This has been Truth Be Told. 